Today's episode of the BS Podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. That's our presenting sponsor and the only fan-friendly app for buying and selling tickets for sports and music. Do me a favor. Go download the free SeatGeek app. You can buy and sell everything on your phone. Tell them we sent you SeatGeek, our sponsor for the last 18 years. Also, we're brought to you by Simply Safe right now. You can save $200 with their Defender package. That's the best-selling package of 2016. 24-7 protection with alarm monitoring and police dispatch. No long-term contract, no hidden fees. Visit simplysafebs.com and get your $200 off today. Simply Safe with two eyes. We're also brought to you by TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my Friday column during the NFL playoffs. Send me some mailbag questions. I put a mailbag link in the last one. The mailbag questions are rusty. Come on, step it up out there. Uh, you can also find my Sports Movie Hall of Fame series on our Channel 33 podcast feed. Subscribe now. I did Chris. I did with Chris Ryan. We did Any Given Sunday this week because the inches are all around us. Any Given Sunday, the third one. We've done Jerry Maguire. We did Moneyball, and now Any Given Sunday. I have a lot of thoughts. It's really Jamie Foxx's breakout movie, and it's the last great movie of Pacino's career. It's not even a great movie, but he's great in it. Anyway, any given Sunday, if you want to hear two guys talk about it for 58 minutes, all the wrinkles, all the stuff you'd ever want to know. It's on HBO a lot right now, so uh, I would encourage you to go download that one. All right, so here's the plan for today. Mike Lombardi talking about round two of the NFL playoffs, and then my old friend Jeff Ross who is the producer of Roast Battle. And that one, um, you know, Jeff Ross is going to cross some lines. He's the Roast Master. So I would proceed with caution when you listen to that one. But right now, Mike Lombardi, let's roll. All right, so little known secret about me before the playoffs Every year for the last few years, I would somehow talk to Mike Lombardi, even even when he wasn't on the podcast, and try to figure out who I was going to pick. And he would help me. He would give me guidance. He would give me, like, Don Vito Corleone, two and a half hours into The Godfather, like, hanging out with Michael in the, in the backyard, warning him about Barzini. Um, this year, I did not do that, because I knew I had him coming on my podcast. And, of course, he was completely right about every game, and I went one and three. So I learned a valuable lesson this year is to always talk to Mike Lombardi before I make my picks. So that's what we're doing this week. How are you? I'm great. I'm looking forward to it, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Shocking four home teams won, but really when you break it down, I think when you really break down the, 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 the divisional weekend, and I think it, it, it was not – and, you know, people get so upset when you say their team's not a playoff team, but when you really break it down, I mean, Miami and some of these other teams just weren't, you know, at the end of the season, they weren't operating. I mean, Miami was outscored, I think, 65-10 to 10 at the half against between Baltimore, uh, between Baltimore, New England, and Pittsburgh. The three good teams they played, they were outscored significantly, 64-13. to 13. Right. You know, and then when you look at, you talked about it, you wrote about Arizona, how they could have snuck in, but... Dallas, Detroit's defense gave up 73 points in two games. And then really the Giants, which to me are, as the fifth seed, they were just remarkable in the sense that they were able to win so many games, close games, and they had the best record of any team. They had 11 wins, but their their, their margin of victory was only five points, which really ranked low in the league. So 
And you called them I mean, out on you called them out on their terrible third down performance and stuff like that, and that started to bear out as that game went along. It really was. I mean, you know, look, the, the, the Giants ranked the Giants averaged five eight five point eight two on on for twenty eighth in the league on on average margin of victory. And guess who was twenty seven? The Raiders. Right. Guess who was twenty six? Miami. You know, so if you can't beat good teams like the Falcons, average the average total margin of victory for the Falcons is fourteen point one. The Steelers right. is twelve two, so you you know you got to be able to beat some. Now I know they beat the Cowboys, and I give them credit for that. But the reality here is, for me, is I think the seedings went, and that's why the home field was such significant because I think there was a disparity between the five and six seeds in both conferences. All right, enough about round one. Let's talk about round two. So we have a little gimmick for for round two. We did this with Goodfellas characters, and it became a smash hit along the lines of Hamilton the Musical. So we're going to do it again. You wanted to do wire characters. So we're going to go game by game, chronologically. We're going to start with Seattle at Arizona. Seattle looked good last week, but they're playing Detroit. And, and if anything, I think people are a little too excited about Seattle this week. What wire character is Seattle to you? Seattle's Jimmy McNulty. I mean, they they're salty. They they have they love the game. They don't have any respect for the the pecking order. You know, Richard Sherman will go over the above the line and call out the offensive coordinator for calling pass plays. The chain of command in Seattle doesn't necessarily always go. They're salty, but they're tough to beat, and they're they're passionate about what they want to do, and they win. I, I think they're the classic Jimmy McNulty. And I think they're classic Jimmy McNulty. Jimmy McNulty had a drinking problem. Seattle an Adderall problem for a while. If if a team could feel like collectively it has a drinking problem, it would probably be the Seahawks because they're so irascible. They're yelling at each other. They have to be separated in the sidelines. Uh, they do weird things inside the five up, yard line. Like Jimmy Mc, like Jimmy McNulty. You know, he got sh- in season two. He's out there on the boats. The next thing you know, he and Freeman are back to being buddies again. <laughs> right. So that's the way Seattle is. Richard Sherman screaming at, and really the game that that it happened is was the Atlanta game when they blow a couple coverages. You know, and they make some mistakes. It kind of erupted for them. So, to me, they're the perfect Jimmy McNulty character. All right, so who's Atlanta? From Bodie. Young, working on a corner, really talented, don't take any crap from anybody, you know, explosive. Atlanta can really move the football. Even though they didn't run the ball well against Seattle, I think the Dome had a lot to do with it. Uh, they really struggled to run the ball. And when Atlanta can't run the ball, their offense can't be as balanced. Atlanta... You know, Seattle's looking at this game a little differently than, than most of the fans are. Seattle's looking at, look, we blew two coverages. You know, we missed a field goal. We missed an extra point. This game shouldn't have been as close. It really wasn't about the pass interference call that didn't happen. Yeah. We had them under control. You know, I just – and McNulty and Bolte, Bodie formed a bond at the end there. You know, before he got killed, they became kind of – they kind of saw each other. And these two franchises know each other. When you watch the tape of the game, both teams know each other's defense really well. And they attack it really well. And I think Kyle Shanahan will do a good job of attacking it. When you play Seattle, you always have to try to not flood the zone, flood the zone, but then bring another guy across. Mm -hmm. It's a numbers game with Seattle. So you're always trying to run another player across the field to get into the void because they don't carry the last player through. They always will carry the second, but not the last. And I think Atlanta knows how to to play them. I think it will be a really good game. I like Seattle only because – only because I think Seattle has to win the game with their defensive front, and that's the one area where Atlanta's offensive line has problems is blocking. Frank Clark didn't play in the last game. Michael Bennett did. I think Michael Bennett's healthier now. I think they need good games out of their defensive front. 
I think it's a close game. And the one thing I do know about this game, Thomas Rawls will run the ball well in this game against Atlanta, even though they're on the road. Remember, last time they played them, uh, Christian Michael was the leading rusher right. for, the, uh, for, the, for the Seattle. Now he's in, in playing in another game. They ran the ball more effectively. The, the left tackle was their old left tackle. It wasn't Tant. So now they, they put another guy in there. I, I just think Seattle has that kind of Jimmy McNulty attitude. They're going to find a way to get the, the, to find a way whether they have to come up with some scheme to convict somebody or to get more money. I think Seattle will find a way to do it. The fact that you compared the Falcons to Bodie, who was shot and killed during the series, I felt like was a bad sign for the Falcons for you were picking for that game. <laughs> wow, I'm surprised. I thought you liked this Falcons team a little bit more than that, but I got to say you've been – a little salty about the the Falcons all year. You it took you a long time to get sucked in, and obviously you're I not a believer. Kyle. I think Dan I think Dan Quinn's done a great job coaching the team. I think there are a couple players away defense. They don't have Desmond Trufant in their secondary. I think their defense isn't quite as good as it needs to be. And I think come playoff time, the offenses can't carry you. I think we know this. And even though they're playing at home, I think it'll be a challenging game. And I think Pete Carroll's guys have that swagger to them. They know how to play and. Uh, you know, I think it's one of those situations where it'll be a really good game. I'm looking forward to it because it's like an inter-squad game. Both teams know each other really well in terms of how they stack, their, how they play. Who, I just think there's something about Seattle. Who would Dallas rather play, you think? I think the Dallas would probably rather play Seattle. Although Seattle's a tough out. Look, I say that, but Seattle's a really tough out because Seattle, other than – the one game, I forget which game it was this year, they've been in the fourth quarter. They've been either within seven points in most every game under Pete Carroll. I think your comparison I mean, to, to McNulty in Seattle is, I almost feel like it's a walk-off homer. I don't even know if we do the rest of the teams. It's perfect. <laughs> and and, so, and like McNulty, Seattle just continues to live and continues to they, somehow they, be relevant and be in the mix, and you keep thinking they're getting fired or shot or killed or whatever, and they're still hanging around. Let's do the and other— when they clean up, they look, And when they clean up, they look good. Right. I mean, let's face it, McNulty, when he cleans up, he looks good. You know, now when he's at the restaurant after he tried to take the curve with the car, you know, and he looks bad. But, I mean, they can clean up and look good, and they do it in a weekly fashion. So let's do the other NFC game. Green Bay at Dallas— um, I promise you Dallas doesn't want to see a very hot Aaron Rodgers right now. My guess would be that they're going to use the old Tom Coughlin Super Bowls against the Pats playbook and just try to extend these long, boring, hand-the-ball-off drives and keep Rodgers off the field, which would be bad for Green Bay. What character is Dallas? Well, Dallas is Marlowe. They're the new kid. They got a chance to be the, They got a chance to be able to run it. They're the new kid, but they still have to go and talk to Avon, which we'll get to him later. But they're 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 the new they're new kids on the block, and I think they're they're young, they're brash, they're they're confident. I think they're Marlowe. And who is Green Bay? Green Bay can only be one. I mean, there's only one p- p- person. Green Bay's Omar. Nobody wants to see him coming. Yo, <laughs> Omar coming. Nobody wants to see Green Bay coming. Nobody wants the Aaron Rodgers double barrel shotgun coming right at him. You know. No army, nobody really around him. He just doing it, throwing guys. I mean, look, every time they showed replays of the touchdown passes, the guys weren't even open, and he threw the ball. And, you and, know, and his hail marys are the equivalent of Omar jumping out the window and surviving. Yeah, that's Spider Man stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, it, it, it's just to me, there's only one. Omar can only be the, the the Packers, and and this is why it's a dangerous game. 
because the last time the Packers played them, they weren't defensively. The Packers got off the field. They were the Pack, the Cowboys were only three of eleven on third down the last time they played them. Yeah, and it was a really good game. It was ten to six with about a minute twenty to go in the half, and then Dallas drove the ball down the field. They get a big play from Lucky Whitehead. They get a big pass, and next thing you know, it's seventeen to six going into the half, and. Dallas played man-to-man against them, and Green Bay couldn't separate or make any plays. I think Green Bay's a little better now with their receivers. They're healthier now. And I think that even and the Cowboys are going to have to control this guy in the pocket because if you don't control Omar, Omar's going to control you. What does Jordy Nelson do for the Packers? I mean, obviously a huge blow, but, man, they just keep – <laughs> they keep pulling receivers off an assembly line. I wish the Patriots were this lucky. What, how well, no, much does that affect them? No, you're missing it. It's it's not the receivers. It's the quarterback. He's got till ten Mississippi to throw the ball. He's standing back there getting guys open. I mean, look when we played when we played touch football on the beach as kids or in the in the playground. You know, if a, if the guy could stand there all day, nobody could cover anybody all day. That's what happens. I mean, how many times you can make a reel of tape of Aaron Rodgers moving to his right, moving back to his left, moving backwards, moving forwards, oh, and throwing the guy open? Like, that's not the receiver. Like, it isn't like you go in the game saying, oh, how are we going to stop Allison Hole? You don't. You, you could. If, if Rodgers lost any mobility, the receivers, would, you would be saying, boy, we're slow. at We just don't have enough explosiveness. Well, I think we're, where I think Green Bay could gain a huge advantage is if they use Ty Montgomery more in the passing game. Yeah. And everybody knows he's a running back. Now, last week they had him flexed out against Jonathan Castillo in a one-on-one situation, man-to-man. And for whatever reason, Aaron didn't throw the ball on a nine route to him. Threw, a, threw an inside route to him on a key third down or a second down, made a big play with him. But if they get Dallas in a man-to-man situation and Dallas is counting Montgomery as a running back and they flex him out, it's going to be ugly. Well, you basically described what I wish the Patriots would do with Deion Lewis all the time. Oh, we're gonna run. Which no, day? actually, we're not gonna run. We're gonna split Deion Lewis out, and make him a wide receiver. Oh, you're gonna go, you're gonna defend him with your 245 pound linebacker. Good luck. He's gonna dust right. him. That's what right. I I I think the Patriots are saving that for. I think Deion's healthy. He's by far the best running back on the team, and I think they're saving it. I think Belichick just puts bullets in his gun and says to himself, "I'm not using this yet." And there's gonna be a point. When he uses it, maybe it's against Pittsburgh, and maybe it's oh James Harrison. Hey, do you want to try to cover Deion Lewis on this wheel route? Good luck. It's not happening. Yeah, um, right. I agree with you. I think Montgomery. I was watching with the Giants last week. I was wondering why they didn't use him that way, but you know maybe they had so many other great matchups. Maybe they didn't need to. But uh, well, they, you know they really didn't. I mean, remember that first quarter of the game? They couldn't get anybody open. I mean, Aikman was saying that everybody was there's nobody open. He was back there, and what happens is. Again, it's like the Alabama-Clemson game. Once the defense gets tired of rushing, you can't get it back. Don't you feel like the Hail Mary kind of broke them a little bit? I I did. I did. I thought it it did break them. But, you know, look, they had the the Hail Mary came back, and then they couldn't get – they went for it on fourth down and didn't get it, and and they got right back into the game. Everybody wants to talk about the Hail Mary breaking them, but they had that game close after the Hail Mary. uh... And then they couldn't stop them. That, That was when McCarthy borrowed Mike McCarthy's cheesecake menu. Yeah. And what's the name of that big white running back on the Packers? John Coon. No, oh. the the guy the guy Aaron Rubisky. Aaron Rubisky. They he ordered the Aaron Rubisky Parmesan. The, the cheesecake I factory mean, waitress told him, "No, no, that's gonna take twenty five minutes to cook." And McCarthy's <laughs> like, "I'm getting it anyway. It looks delicious." And he ran right into the line and fell down. 
I mean, it was so bad. I mean, you know, but only to be outdone by – did you ever see a team run the same plays over and over again like the Giants do? And, and, that, and, the, and how about there was one scene where you couldn't even see his face? I know. I and thought it, the interesting thing was when McAdoo went up to Aaron Rodgers before the game. I kept thinking, do you think Belichick would ever go up to another player before the game? And Aaron Rodgers blew him off. Like, nobody's made any commentary about that. Aaron Rodgers just kind of, like, went about doing what he was doing. That's what I, I told Sal on Monday's podcast. There was this moment when Connor Cook was talking to Del Rio before he went out for his first series. The Raiders had gotten a stop. Khalil Mack's going off the field and walks right by him and doesn't give him the ass slap or any of that any sort of signs of encouragement at all. Like, come on, guys. All right, we, we set it up for you. Just kind of walk by him. I was like, oh, God. I'm done with this Raiders pick. Khalil Mack didn't even touch him. I do believe yeah. in that stuff. Like some of that weird body language stuff is legit. You're right. Belichick no, would not is. talk and to I mean, him. No, no. And, and it is. And I mean, look, the reason Khalil Mack didn't go up and pat him on the back, he watched Connor Cook practice. Connor Cook struggles at time to throw spirals in practice. Did you think so it was a sign was... that David Carr didn't, didn't go to the game? <laughs> David Carr's yeah, like, screw this. Did. I'm not going. No way Connor Cook well, I wish I had known it, that before know, I made my pick. Well, I think, you know, look, the whole play calling was so bad. I mean, look, you have to have, when you're playing Connor Cook in a game, you're going to have to have five or six creative ways. You have to have trick play. You're going to have to do something to take the game. You can't run the conventional offense. Right. And, and every time they were in third, I mean, they were in third and 11 all the time. It, you know, and I know Bill Musgrave got fired after afterwards and they replaced him. It, you know, but that wasn't the kind of game plan. To me, that's more... I think it's more about the head coach. I think the head coach, when you're in an adverse situation, I think the head coach has to set up the game plan to help the team win. I don't think it can be just because the coordinators are going to do what comes naturally to them. I think the head coach has to come in and say, look, here's how we got to play the game. Here's how the style we have to play. Here's what we need to do. We need a lot of throws on first down that are safe that we can make. We need to be able to – like I, what really bothers me most about teams with bad quarterbacks is how they – it drives me insane is when they run the ball on second and ten like they're going to get the chains back to third and four. Right. Like you're not. Like play Canadian football. Throw a first down. Get a first down on second down. You know, try to do that because you're not going to win if you don't. Hey, quick break to talk about Blue Apron. Stop wasting money on expensive takeout, Mike Lombardi. What if you signed up with Blue Apron? For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron will deliver you all the fresh ingredients you need for a delicious home-cooked meal. They have the highest standards for ingredients. They build a community of home chefs that has no rival. Now, I know Millie loves to cook, but just in case, in case she wants to take a break. Some of the meals available in January include seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney, spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic nuts, and spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and furry khaki. Right now, you can get your first three Blue Apron meals for free with free shipping. Just go to blueapron.com slash BS. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, we got to go to the AFC. All right. Let's, let's, we'll save the Pats for last. Steelers, Chiefs. All right. So you, it oh, sounds like you like Atlanta. I'm sorry, you like Seattle and you like the Packers. So you like both underdogs in the NFC. AFC. Yeah, and, and AFC, this is Stringer Bell versus Prop Joe. Stringer Bell, the Patriots. Stringer Bell, the Steelers. Don't know what is Stringer Bell really a thug or is he a businessman? What is he? the Steelers are a good team? Are they a bad? They're so inconsistent. They look like world beaters last week, and then they go down and they they poop down their legs when they play against a good team. Like and but they're lethal. And Stringer Bell could be lethal when he wanted to be. Right. And I and he I died. Think that this, we should mention he died. And he died. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, he did. I yeah. did. Well, most of these guys do die, unfortunately. <laughs> I wasn't really counting on the death of them to really de- determine it, but to me, the personality fits. Like, I really thought, like, I thought Brother Manzone could be also the Steelers. Smart, tactical, you know, everybody's mm. fearful of them, you know, uh, and... Uh, I think Stringer's... A, shot. I like your Stringer thing, though, because... You're right. Stringer was juggling two people at the same time, which is kind of how I feel about the Steelers team. Is are they the flinging it with Ben team? Are they the the ground and pound with Le'Veon Bell slash our defense can make plays team? Do they they have an on off switch? I think Stringer as a character kind of had an on off switch. I can see that one. That's a good one. And then Prop Joe to me, the wise doesn't have a lot of things around him. It's like Andy Reid, Prop Joe. You know, got a lot of trick things, funny sayings, a lot of things he can do. You know, lethal too. You know, has a powerful network. Yeah. But always kind of makes things happen. I think this is a cl- this is really going to be a good game. I think the first game had nothing to do with this game at all. So I think it, it had nothing to do. I do think you- it was one of those games where the Steelers kind of just caught them on fire. Next thing you know, they were behind, and it was in the. And the Chiefs had to buy the next week, and they just regrouped for another day. So do you believe in the revenge thing at all? Because when they were talking about that with the Steelers and the Dolphins, the announcers, I think it was Nance and Sims, that it really made the Steelers mad they lost that game, and they'd been waiting. That game was kind of the pockmark on their season, and they right. were delighted to have a chance to avenge that game. Couldn't you make the same case for the Chiefs in this round two game? Not that you need more incentive for a playoff game, but does he, do you think that stuff even matters in the playoffs? I, I, I think the, the tone is going to be we have to play better. I, I, I think in, in the case of Pittsburgh it worked because most teams would look at, like if you're the Steelers and say you wouldn't have played Miami and you watched Miami play New England and New England just thro- just drilled them, okay? Mike Tomlin's challenge is to tell his team, look, they're a really good team. They're a really good team. That not this isn't really how they played against Baltimore. This isn't really how they played against New England. You know that that they're it's a myth that they were behind sixty four to thirteen at the half in three games or you know whatever they were in the two games against the the other teams. Yeah. You know, but because they played them, all Mike had to do was turn on his own tape and say, "Look what they did to us. Look what they did to us. Right. Who's going to play? I mean, Tomlin's." This is Tomlin's greatest the greatest strength is his leadership ability. And what he does is he goes to the meeting room and says, look, I'm going to carry seven defensive linemen. I know four I'm going to carry. Who are the next three? It's going to be determined on the practice field. And it ain't going to be this guy who played like this in this game, or it's not going to be that guy who played like this in that game. So he can challenge the players. And when you can use your own tape to challenge the players, I think it works. In Kansas City's case, I think Kansas City realizes the importance of the game. I think they put that game behind them and say, look, we're playing home. We're a different team now. That was a bye week. This is live or die. we got to find a way to figure this out. And Kansas City must control the pace of the game. And Kansas City's thinking to themselves, if Ben's willing to turn the ball over, which he seems to be willing to do yeah. come playoff time, we got to take advantage of it. And as predicted last week, he threw the three picks up for grabs. Miami caught two of them and dropped one of them. But for whatever reason, he throws three balls a game up for grabs. And that's not going to – they. This is, to me, the toughest game to figure out of the three because I think there's going to be so many weird variables in play, right? You could have the Le'Veon Bell 80-yard touchdown. You could have the Tyreek Hill 80-yard touchdown. You could have Andy Reid doing Andy Reid things. I was like, Maybe we should start calling him Prop Andy. You could have Ben, Andy. Throw, ben Roethlisberger throwing the worst possible pick at the worst possible time. You could have the Travis Kelsey 78-yard touchdown. Like, 
I, I, I think anybody who says, I know what's going to happen in this game. Here's how it's going to play out. This is the one game where I feel like it's bullshit. I think all the scenarios are in play. The one thing I don't like for Kansas City is I don't think their defense has been that good. And No. You know, and but if they not get having, Justin Houston back, it helps. But if you get him back and he's 60%, does that help? No, but look, I think the one strength of the Steelers has been this year, all year, has been the ability of their offensive line. So mm. I give them that credit. I think what, what, the, what the Chiefs must do in this game is be really good on second down and stay out of as many third downs as they can, but keep the ball on the field. Because this Steeler team, they live for negative plays. They're not a great defense at all, but they want to create a second and 15 or a first and 15 so they can force you and use their team speed defensively to tackle and get off the field. And I think Aaron, Alex Smith's got to be really good with the football. And then the home field's got to play a huge advantage here because what Ben was doing to the Miami defense and checking into the right play at the right time because the crowd was on his favor, he didn't run a bad play most of the game. Yeah. He's not going to be able to do that in Kansas City. So it Kansas sounds, City, but w- w- it sounds like you like Can- it sounds like you like Prop Andy a little bit here. I, I'm with you on this game. I, I could go either way on this game. I like Pittsburgh because they're so hot right now. I think the one thing that bothers me about Kansas City is there's not enough multidimensional defenses. They don't play enough. If you play, Kansas City's like the baseball pitcher who just has a great fastball. And you can win a lot of games with a great fastball. But sometimes you need a changeup and a curveball. And I think Kansas City plays too little of other things and don't play them well enough. And I think Pittsburgh can take advantage of it. Plus, I think Pittsburgh's players, they like playing on the road. I don't think they have – Stringer doesn't mind going in a hostile environment. Right. And I think they relish this. And I think this is – if they get through the first quarter, I think they're going to be – I think they're going to be – this is going to be a really good game. And I think weather's going to play a factor in it. Ball security's going to play a factor in it. And I think kicking is going to play a huge factor in it. And if I have to go with a team on, on short yardage that can get short yardage plays, I think the difference for me is Pittsburgh because of Le'Veon Bell. I think if you play this game 20 times, Pittsburgh wins six, Kansas City wins four, and then 10 come down to like three plays that swing either way. And so 50% chance it goes. Yeah. All right. Last one. The, the Houston Texans and the Brockening coming to, Uh, uh, coming to new England. This Frank Sabaka versus Avion Barksdale, you know, (laughs) I almost went with Clay Davis for the Houston Texans kind of fraudulent. They're in the game, you know, always working two sides, you know, but I just think Frank Sabaka was perfect because he doesn't belong where he is. Yeah, you know, and uh, and look, I gave Avon to the Patriots because, as Avon told Marlowe in prison one day, I'm sort of like what they call an authority figure around here. Right. And the Patriots are still an authority figure. And and they started on episode one of the first season, and they were there yeah. in the last episode of the last season. That's and right. Even so, it looked bleak from time to time. They always rallied back, and in the end, they controlled the streets. I think one of the greatest scenes of all time is when is when Marlowe is expecting the Russian and out comes and, and out comes Avon. Right. And I think that's where, you know, and then Frank Sabaka is, is really a great character because he tried to do everything good. He's trying to make everybody happy, try to keep dig a dig a deeper port and make everything happen. For, but it just it was he was in way over his head. Yeah. In way over his head. Did you. And I think the Houston Texans are in over their head. Did you take anything positive from the Brock performance last week or no? Not really, no. I, okay. I just thought that you know. Look, I, I, I'm disappointed in. I was disappointed in in the uh, lack of pass rush. But look, the heist is 
is still the heist. I mean, he's still going to have his moments. And if it's cold in New England, yeah. and he's got to go in there with crowd noise and get him in the right play. I just don't – they're going to double hop. They're going to double hop because they're going to force the ball somewhere else. And this guy doesn't make quick decisions, nor does he throw the ball with any great, uh, you know, any great location and accuracy. I think that's what you, what you saw on Monday night with Watson from Clemson. Is you saw a great player, but he doesn't have great accuracy. And I, that's what you see with Brock. I thought Oakland He's not was a great player. Don't get me wrong. I thought Oakland was terribly coached last weekend. Their defense, I don't know what they were up to. They certainly weren't playing with a lot of passion. Um, right. He kept just I've throwing. Never seen he a kept coach throw- with his fingers with his fingers taped on the sideline, like he was actually getting ready to play. <laughs> like, did you have you did you know? No, I didn't. Never seen that either. Ken Norton's fingers are taped. Like he was getting ready to play in the game. I, I'd never seen anything like it before. I mean, he just it's kept remarkable. He kept throwing to the tight end over and over again. It's like, right, yeah, that's ran, what he's done all my, year. He, all he does is throw 10 yard passes to the tight end, just co- the double cover. The yeah. play's called Ozzy. It's an out to the tight end. It's Gronk's play. And, and my sons and I were watching the game, and I was, here comes another Ozzy. Here comes another Ozzy. And, and it was so true. And I don't think he's going to be able to run Ozzy all the time. I mean, look, the Patriots weren't playing great defense the first time they played him, and they shut him out. Yeah. I don't think they're going to shut him out in this game, but I think the Patriots offensively are playing way better. And I think that's going to be the problem because the last time they lost him, Jacoby Brissett was the quarterback. That's not going to be the case. There was no Deion Lewis. This is a different team offensively. I think you'll see Michael Floyd have a bigger role. I think Danny Amendola will have another role. I don't think Malcolm Mitchell will play. I think he'll be replaced by by uh, Floyd. I think you'll see, and I think you'll see this this Patriot defense. I think you'll see them flying around to the ball. I think they'll double Hopkins, and I think they'll make it hard for the heist to, to walk out of uh, Boston with, the, with any money. <laughs> the Houston defense has a bunch of guys that I like. There's no way they keep Houston hanging around in this game, right? Well, I, I mean, look, Whitney Marcellus is a good player. I mean, Clowney. This will be a Nick New it, New it, and Clowney's great. The cornerbacks. make it a game. Yeah, and, but New England knows their coverages. He, they know their adjustments to the coverages, and so – Brady will go to the line of scrimmage with a good play in his hand. This is where home field really makes a difference, is when you have a great quarterback who can get you in the right play. And you can do that, and they'll go some tempo, and once they can tire their defensive line out, you know, then I think it becomes a problem. So it sounds like you're, you're leaning toward Avon versus Marlowe, which is how the wire played out, with Omar as the wild card, and Omar lasted a long time and then finally tragically died. Right. Okay. Yeah. So Pat's Dallas with Green Bay as the wild card. That's what I'm taking away from this. And maybe a little I, bit of Seattle. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think oh, and so. McNulty. I, I, we I can't think, forget about McNulty. No, I, I think Seattle's the perfect McNulty. Okay. You know, dress them up. They look good. Yep. All right. Uh, and they'll argue with everybody. And they have no respect for. I mean, look, when Richard Sherman's calling out the play, calling out the play caller, isn't that a McNulty thing? Totally. Mike Lombardi. It's been a pleasure as always. And don't forget. If my name's on the street, my name is my name. They're talking <laughs> about my name on the streets. What? That's the white guy version of that speech. Mike Lombardi. Well, I'll my text favorite, you. Can oh, I give ahead. you my favorite line of yeah. all time? Is when was when Avon comes over to Prop Joe and he's dressed up coaching a basketball game, and Prop Joe tells him, he said, "Hey, if if, if you want to, well, how's it goes? If you want to be, if, if you want to be the part, you got to look the part." Yeah. And he was looking the part. Now he's Prop Andy. Now he's Prop Andy. He'll I love Prop Andy. Dressed all warm. Prop Andy and Prop Joe are even built alike. I think this is one of your exactly. best ones ever. Yeah. All right. All Mike, right. Mike Lombardi, we'll talk to you next Thanks, week. Bill. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to talk to Jeff Ross, but before we do, I have an idea for your next vacation. 
What about Princess Cruise Lines? They have a big anniversary sale right now. Voted best itineraries. Princess Cruises are an easy, convenient way to travel. They can take you wherever there's an ocean, as long as that ocean is on Earth. Whether you're dreaming of whale watching in Juneau or hiking to the ruins of Mako Piku, Machu Picchu? What is that, Tate? Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu? Where is that? Peru, right? Peru. Sounds like I want to hike to the ruins there. There's a destination wherever you want to go. The ship features state-of-the-art fitness centers, which offer exercise courses and equipment with an ocean view to energize you while you cruise. There's even a 300-square-foot poolside movie theater for games, movies, and concerts. During the Princess Cruise anniversary sale, you can get up to $600 in free onboard spending money. Use it to sip wines, cage diving, unwind at the Lotus Spa, whatever you want. There's never been a better time to take your next vacation on a Princess Cruise. Please visit princess.com slash BS for more details on that anniversary sale. Again, princess.com slash BS. And now, as promised, the Roastmaster, Jeff Ross, again, the man crosses some lines. Don't get mad at me. Don't get bent out of shape if there's a line that gets crossed that you might not appreciate. I'm not forcing you to listen to this podcast. I'm not. You're making your own choice. This is your own free will. So here we go. Jeff Ross. Uh, taping this part on a Wednesday. It's like 1230. Somehow Jeff Ross is awake. This is the earliest you've been up in like 10 years. It really is crazy. What time do you get up? Like two? You're like you're like the Twilight Vampire. Lately in LA, I've been getting up a little, not as late as in New York. Sometimes in New York, I'll miss daylight. You miss daylight completely. Yeah, I'm like, wow, I really am still a comedian. <laughs> like to think of myself as other things, good person, but at, at my heart, the roast master. I'm a comedian vampire. We did a podcast, I think, in like '09 or 2010, when I was at ESPN. It was like pre Grantland. You came over to my house. Right. And it went for like an hour and a half and it turned into this whole thing about how upset you were about Dancing with the Stars <laughs> and our friend Cousin Sal tricking you into thinking you were safe when you weren't. Right. And it, w- it was like, I really felt like a psychiatrist. Then Tom Cruise healed you guys. I, don't, I still don't feel like it's the same. Me it's, and Sal. It's like 75% the same. No, not 100%. I disagree. I, 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 You're back. Sal and I, I think in a weird way, we're better than ever. Oh, good. Okay. I think that that was sort of like the midlife crisis of our relationship. And now we're, we're closer than ever, I feel like. The midlife crisis. <laughs> I talked to Sal yesterday a little bit. Yeah. Good. Okay. I'm I, glad I did, you're back. I think, I think we're, we're, we're through all that. I think we've both matured. I've known you for a long time. And it, a couple of years in a row, we wrote for our friend Kimmel for the AMAs. Right. And I remember fun. we were driving around in L.A. once, and you were like, I've got to get out of this roast thing. I don't want to get pigeonholed as the roast guy. <laughs> <laughs> and since then, you've written a book about roasting. You've, you've renamed yourself the Roast Master. You've done 10 celebrity uh, Comedy Central roasts, at least 10, all of which have been successful and really good. And now you've mastered it with the roast battle. You've actually mastered this whole thing. Roast Battle is my favorite new show of 2016, Ooh. other than Atlanta. I have Atlanta 1, Roast Battle 2. I loved Roast Battle. It was oh, great. I love it. I loved well, how it built as the as the week went along in Montreal, as the people who was at the comedy festival. Right. And the first day, it was like the fans didn't totally get it. And right. by the last day, people are cheering. It yeah. was like an MMA or something. We're it was doing awesome. it again in a, uh, soon. 
Where so where is it? Give us the details. We're gonna do it. It's gonna air the last four days, I think, of January. I think twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine, like right in there, the last weekend of January. And where are you doing it? Las On Vegas. Comedy Central. We're doing it from the Sunset Strip in Hollywood. Oh, so I can I'm invited. You're invited. Thanks for inviting me. Well, it's all coming together right now. Yeah. The uh comedy store on sunset across the street remember what's across the street oh yeah the house of blues right so they're tearing that down and building condos the week before they tear it down we're building our roast battle arena inside there and then they're tearing that down (laughs) and then we're gonna do our four finale shows and then they tear everything down and then then they tear it down forever so we'll be the last four shows ever in that building can we go over the rules for the roast battle yeah because you're having all these preliminaries right now, which I've been watching. We did the preliminaries from Atlanta and Denver this week. And uh, next week, Sunday at 9 is uh, is um, the L.A. Pre- Sunday at 10 is the L.A. The preliminary. Sunday nights. Yeah. Sun- every Sunday night, there's a roast battle preliminary. It's I don't know like, when people are going to hear this podcast, but... It'll be... They're going to hear it this week. Yeah. So yeah. every Sunday at 11, they put up their yeah, preliminaries. Yeah. And you can always watch them online at any time. The one this week was great because you had... Every once in a while, a comedian comes on who has no idea what the format is and yeah. just doesn't get it and walks into a bus saw <laughs> and gets mad as it goes along. And I forget the name Carlos of the guy. Carlos Miller. Yeah, he, he wasn't happy. He was mad. He didn't like it. He was mad at you. He was mad at the guy he was going against. He was mad at the crowd. He was mad at Comedy Central for having him on. How does he not know? It was like one of the judges was like, just Google it. Just <laughs> Google Roast Battle. See what it's about. Yeah, he's you know, people, they take it for granted a little bit that they can just walk into our arena. But you can't. You have to prepare. You can't right. bring a knife to a gunfight. Roast Battle is serious serious comedy and the guys who wing it are always in trouble and you can tell right away it, it's it, always like the look at this guy and they kind of look at him and it's wearing these jeans and you could just tell they're not prepared pat Oswalt tweeted yesterday that roast battle is the most absurd beautiful expression of friendship that that's out there that's the thing it, it's always there's always hugs before and after but yet there was one rule. time that's where there were i hugs. added but there, were, there was one time there wasn't hugs. We got to talk I, about it. What do you mean? We had to talk about the great Ralphie May incident of 2016. They still hugged. They hugged. He didn't hug you, though. He was mad at you. He's, he's mad at me. So you bring in one of your best friends in the world, Ralphie May, into right. roast battle. Right. You bring him in. He doesn't totally know what he's getting into. He knew. He'd, he'd battled before. He knew. You set him up. You give him a first round. You give him an easy first round opponent. That's your opinion. Well, it was my opinion. I thought it was easy. He beat Yamanika Saunders, I think. Second round, not as easy. Mike he, Lawrence, who went on to win the whole tournament. Gets demolished. Right. But yet, you're, are you his best friend or like one of his three best friends? I'd like to think of Ralphie as a very, very dear friend. One of your... one of Sure. Longest, How many jokes have friend. you made about his weight over the last 20 years? Not as many as Jimmy Kimmel. Okay. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> so, he gets demolished, but thinks, well... My buddy Jeff's over there. I'll be fine. I'm still going to advance. Now he gets voted off. Well, I'm in a unique By all position. accounts, he was so mad at you after that it it might have affected your friendship for a while. Is that I haven't fair? talked to Ralphie since the summer. So since, you don't talk to that. Ralphie anymore? No, me and Jimmy tried to talk to him that weekend. He wouldn't talk to me. He's been, you know, I haven't seen him, no. I'm in a really weird position with this show because yeah. it's creating a family of roast battlers, but yet... I don't think there's any other competition show where you actually book it and judge it. So I'm talking my friends into doing it, or in some cases, giving people an opportunity to shine at something they'd be great at, but then also judging it. Right. I'm trying to think, 
it would it's be like ha- if Adam Silver was the commissioner of the NBA, but also ref the games. I, yeah. He was out there running around. That would be funny, by the way, to see Adam Silver in a referee uniform. You don't know what he looks like. I do. You don't. Come I, on. I know what he looks like. What does he look like? He's bald. <laughs> that's true. You know all the other bald people now. That's another <laughs> thing that's happened with you. When did you shave your head? Uh, last two summers ago. Don't you think people take me more seriously this way? You do look a little more villainous. Yeah. So when what were the reasons? Walk me through shaving your head. Because there was a three-year span you didn't care about your hair at all. And it was just, it was it was a subject of a few emails with Jimmy and Sal and those guys. <laughs> What's going on with Ross's hair? I was looking very it's clowny. Growing. I was looking very clowny. I was going through a breakup. I was on my way to host an outdoor uh, tour, the, yeah. the Oddball Fest. And on top of that, I was headed to a maximum security jail. Right. And I didn't want to be... Like rape. So you want to look more street. I didn't want to look like, look like their lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think I found my look finally. So you went, that was what, two years ago? You go I into a jail was, and you do, and you basically roast the prisoners. Yeah. Amazing. It was pretty fun. People, I just got a letter from a guy who was inside uh, that show. It's kind of cool when you hear it from people later on. Like he wrote you in all caps? <laughs> I was at Florida International University recently, and some guy came running through and jumped over the barrier. I was like, what the heck? And all of a sudden, this guy's like, I was in the audience when you were at our jail, man. Thank oh you God. so much. Now I'm a freshman at this college. And Sal is still convinced that you that you had a fat joke ready for the first couple minutes, and you went to you used it on somebody who wasn't that fat, and Sal's like, oh, they, they, he, <laughs> there's Jeff looking around. He doesn't realize there's no fat people in prison. <laughs> <laughs> has to go with somebody who's mildly overweight. Yeah, well, it's all relative. You know, you gotta... Yeah, you gotta. I thought that was very effective. But back to Ralphie Mae. <laughs> okay. So when I was working on Kimmel's show, Ralphie Mae did, did stand-up that first year, remember? Right. I was a guest co-host, I Comes believe. out, you had to walk down the stairs. I was there. And he fell, but he claimed that he fell intentionally. And it became, we, we studied this, like the, Sal studied this, like the Zabruder film in the 1960s for four to five years, trying to figure out if it was intentional or not, and decided that it was not. You know, it's one of those things where it's better left undiscovered, you know? We'll never know. The mystery of it is almost better. We really need to get to the bottom of why a guy fell on live TV. Because <laughs> that's the other thing. It was live. That was back when the, the show, show was live. live. I was co-hosting. You know, we couldn't really get guests back then. Jimmy's like, call some comics. Who's around? Right. So he called like Ralphie and Ralphie came out. He killed. He popped right up. He was Had a good. great joke and killed. Yeah. yeah. But then they put him through a lie detector test and... We were talking about natural disasters that have happened in L.A. the last 30 years, like earthquakes, fires, stuff like that. And I was saying to Jimmy that since I'd been here, there have been two minor earthquakes, but no major scary one. And he's like, that's not true. What about when Ralphie May fell on the stage? <laughs> <laughs> that was so funny to the top of his brain all yeah, the time. Yeah. Well, it was, like, it, was, it was his favorite moment, I think, in the history of the show. Because you know how much he loves people tripping, falling, any any sort of anything like that. This was like his dream. I tripped coming out when I was on his show once, and he was so delighted. I once and went I out the, the wrong door. door. I once went out the wrong door when I entered. Did you really? Yeah. Like Don Barris, I think, was talking to me right before they introduced me, and I didn't really look at the blocking. And boom, I went out the wrong door. Well, when you... That first year, you guest hosted for a week, and that was my favorite week we ever had on the show. And it culminated in, 
Well, two great moments. One was you, Lorenzo Lamas, and Matt two, and Trey. I almost and Lorenzo Lamas was ready to fight you. Yeah. And I'm not a fighter. Like, right. It was crazy. You would have lost to Lorenzo Lamas. That would have been bad. Yeah, it would have been bad. He was in good shape at the time. Now you might have I remember like he yanked me. Oh, yeah. Well, that was good. So there's three. Because yeah, Suge Knight was mad at you. What did you say to Suge Knight? I forget. Suge Knight was very disrespectful to Jimmy. He kept putting his feet on the coffee table. The yes. show was brand new. Like, yeah. it just bothered me, and he seemed real. he just gotten out of jail, and I kept pretending I thought he was a football player, and he didn't like that. Right. <laughs> I'm like, what team do you play for? <laughs> and finally, and I, I think I made a joke before he came out, so when he shook my hand, he, like, yanked me across the couch a little bit. Ooh. I also he, remember he made a really inappropriate Easy E joke that I think is on YouTube that because it was live, we couldn't edit it. Like right. it was like a 10 out of 10 of being right. inappropriate. But then there, the other time I thought you were going to fight was when you had a new car. Oh. oh what, yeah. what kind of car was Ooh, it? It was a white Porsche Boxster. A white Porsche. And Sal was outside. Spray we, painting my punchlines on it. Right. <laughs> To my jokes that I done stand up. Do split screen. You're sitting in the theater. You can't leave. And Sal's outside with your car. Well, first of all, if I recall, I was shooting CSI as an actor from like eight seven a.m. to like seven p.m. Then I'd run over from the valley. And you know, I'd have to eat real quick while I was in makeup. And I'd always order like something hearty, a steak. And Sal would walk in just as I'm eating and knock it on the floor. So then I'd have to eat like carrot sticks or whatever was around and then do the show because <laughs> I, I wouldn't eat the dirty steak. And like my blood sugar would drop. And I think, you know, Jimmy and Sal seem to think that I'm funnier when I'm riled up and unprepared. <laughs> they definitely think that. You and Sal, it's going to be a great documentary when, in like 2048. And then you'll animate it. Just so, yeah, <laughs> it's the 70 years of your friendship with Sal. So when you did, I think 99, you did... The B. Arthur's dick joke. Okay. Which is the which was really the Babe Ruth of roast jokes at the time. Ooh. I wouldn't fuck her with B. Arthur's dick. Cut away to B. She's doesn't know what's going on. What roast was that? Jerry Stiller. Jerry Stiller the roast. Great. Jerry Stiller. That launched the modern era of roasting. Right. And then goes all the way through to uh I still love the the Shaq. all of them are on YouTube. I still love the Shaq roast. I think it was the Emmett Smith. That's we were roasting my, that, Emmett that's Smith my favorite in Las roast Vegas. Every day. We were roasting yeah. Emmett Smith in Las Vegas, and Shaq, like sort of the producer, Jamie right. Foxx was the host. And you came out and you said, "This isn't a roast; it's a barbecue," because <laughs> you were like one of the only white people there. I was the only. And then only. just from there, but the best part of that, if you're a sports fan, is Moose Johnson was up, the cowboy. <laughs> And he went before it. He didn't know what a roast was, so he kind of gave a wedding speech. Like you give. He's uh, auditioning to be a broadcaster. Yeah, I just want to say, Emmett Smith, what a teammate. He just had no idea. And you came out and you were like, well, Moose Johnson did all my shit. (laughs) And he didn't know what was going on. Everyone's laughing at him. He wanted to fight you. He he was more mad at Jamie Foxx. He pushed. They cut it, I think, from the show. But if you watch some of the credits or something, you can see Moose Johnson like, like push. A, a stool at Jamie. So, like in anger? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because that was also the one where I Jamie... I saw Jamie the other night. He brings it up all the time. That was the one where Jamie kind of ruined Doug Williams' career a little bit. Yeah. He did. He started heckling him. Well, or, Doug Williams went at him first, so... I don't know if he ruined his career or just sort of put a punctuation point at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> he shoveled the last piece of data. Yeah. yeah, that wasn't great. 
well, you know, these roasts are hard, and it's up to the MC, the roast master, if you will, who's hosting the roast, Jamie, to keep it moving. And if some guy's not prepared or he's hemming and hawing or making a lecture, I think Jamie took a page out of the Milton Berle roast playbook and right. kept it alive. I actually think he was probably my favorite other than I'll absolve Jimmy. Jimmy's not eligible for this, but Jamie was my favorite roast master because he really got involved and he just was kind of enjoying it. And yeah. When he laughed, he was laughing at the right things. Right. It was the right point in his career. He was famous, but he wasn't like too famous right. yet. Now it would almost be weird if he hosted a, a roast. I would feel like he'd have to like scale it back a little bit. Oh, no. I think you know, he'd be like the Billy Crystal Oscar host You think host he'd go all out? Oh, yeah. Jamie. You don't think he's too famous though? Plus he's got a comedy movie coming out with Piven and... I think I think All Star Weekend. Get or whatever. him back. I think this is a good idea, actually. Who's this the is next a time to bring Jamie back? Who's the next celebrity roast? We don't have anybody booked. I it's think hard to get him, right? Well, I mean, I think we'll concentrate on roast battle, booking the, that and the judges and stuff. And then well, roast battle is like going to be American Idol. I mean, that's that's going to think live. so. Oh yeah, we got some big judges this time too. That's never roast battle is going to be a force of nature. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. The ratings were great, weren't? Yeah. I mean, Comedy Central was super happy with it. Yeah. It's just funny. You know what I love about roasts? Everyone's so politically correct now, and everybody's so afraid to say whatever. And roasts are like the one place where just everything's still fair game. I don't know how long, how much longer that's going to last either. So oh. I think at some point it's going to flip, right? What do you mean? Uh, just people are so uptight now. At some point, I don't know if roasts get the same kind of leeway. Well, for 20 years, they've been, they've been going on for 100 years, but they've been I know. getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I know, but everybody's so tight now. You must feel it when you go to colleges, right? No, I just did a college in, in, in Pennsylvania. It was great. Really? Sli- Slippery Rock University. Great crowd. The, so the comedians... You hear that, but... The I comedians mean, always say that's overrated about how the uptight the colleges is. I but think I the co- thought, I think they're great. Truth, I had right? a blast at a college. I, I speed roast volunteers from the audience. They come up on stage, college students. They laugh at each other. They laugh at themselves. I don't know. I think you got, you know... I can't. I don't think you can generalize that. Okay. I think certain comedians, maybe their act doesn't relate or much, or or, or or whatever. But I don't know. I've always had good experiences at colleges. Is it like a muscle, the speed roasting thing? I was always impressed by how you can do that. You can walk into a room and you just immediately start cracking on somebody. I can turn it on and off. It's I, like an on-off switch. It really, and it takes a lot out of me. So I try to keep it off until I need it. It's. I don't want to ever dilute it. Really? Or take it for granted. Like when I'm doing a live show, like if I'm headlining and doing an hour and I line up 12 or 15 volunteers, like when I'm done with that, I'm tired. Like my brain is tired. It's not the marijuana? It might be. It's probably a combination. The coffee, the marijuana. No, I mean, you know, it's your brain's in overdrive. <laughs> you really, I think about 10 years ago, you figured out the perfect percentage mix of coffee and marijuana. <laughs> We had scientists. After 30, 30, 30 years of tests. Yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is the fact that marijuana is legal now in so many different places and so much easier to get and, and the quality of it is so much it's better? It's great. It's got to be great for you. It's so great. Yeah. And coffee's better than it's ever been. Really? It's, it's, everything's looking up Jeff Ross. <laughs> I'm really, I'm feeling real good, man. <laughs> no, no, no other, you know, don't eat any other drugs. That's unbelievable it. coffee, unbelievable pot, and roast battles are the, are the highest they've ever been. From, you put those three things together, I'm a happy boy. All right, let's let's talk about the roast battle system because uh, our friend Pat Barker, funny guy, didn't make the make the cut last year for season one. Right. 
he made he the did, cut this year he for did the, the regionals twice, right? Right. Did the regionals this year in LA and, and did won. great. Beat Robin Tran. Thought that that was going to then propel. You put him against Robin Tran, which he had trouble with because it was a transgender, and he didn't know whether, from a roasting standpoint, whether the crowd would be for or against. So I think he just stayed away, which was the right move. Well, apparently not. What? I would have gone for it if I was Pat. Well, I mean, I think he made one. I don't remember what he did. He did great. It's not like he, he did get. didn't do well enough to get in. But, but there's only but he 16 won. spots. You have a couple veterans who want to get in a tournament, so you got to make room for Todd Barry. So you have a couple ringer spots that you just keep open. Of course. Right. For headliners who want to compete. Right. And we but have the, to do that. And, you know, you want to mix it up with people from New York and L.A. So you only have a few spots from L.A. from each city. But why and, do you need the headliners, though, is my question. I think it gives it a little variety and a little sort of something for people to play, different angles. And I think it makes the show interesting. Okay. Because I like that. For me, the, the charm of the show last year was discovering people like Mike Lawrence and Sarah Tiana. Sure, but you I discovered love the new... them because they beat Jimmy Carr and, right. and, and Ralphie May and Steve Ranazizi and guys with some history. Well, Steve Ranazizi probably shouldn't have come on. I thought it was great for him, and I think he would. Oh, you think it was good for he him? He would say that he's thrilled he came on. Really? He immediately afterwards gave me a hug and said, "I can be friends with everybody again." I mean, people might not know the story, but tell it know, quickly. He was is a funny guy. He's on a show called The League, very popular, and he uh, it was uh, when a special came out. It was figured out by the New York Times that he indeed made up a story about surviving the nine eleven attacks that he was working in the World Trade Center when in fact he wasn't. Somehow, as a young comedian, he put that out there, and it, he just didn't know how to backtrack it and kind of held on to it. Bad idea. When people found out about it, they were really mad at him. He stopped working. He stopped going yeah. out. Um, you know, being a comedian is like being in a cult or a fan. We're, we're, it's almost a religion for us. When we yeah. see somebody who needs to hit the reset button on their life, we tend to bring them in. And I asked him to do Oddball. He didn't want to do the Oddball Fest. Amy Schumer and I, I remember reaching out to him, and he canceled those dates. I was like, this guy's really lost at sea. So he asked, or we asked, I can't remember, if he wanted to do Roast Battle. And indeed, he did, and he wanted to clear the air and take his beating. So I put him up against a New York comedian oh, who Jesus. I knew would go there, yeah. Sam Morell. And it was a vicious battle, but Steve Venizizi, who, by the way, is a great actor, couldn't remember his first line, his first joke. Well, he's nervous. Stumbled. He had the weight of the Twin Towers on his shoulders. I mean, <laughs> right. he collapsed. And he, got, he, he was really bad, but I think it was what he needed to clear the air. He needed to take a couple big hits. Yeah. Because he got demolished. But he, maybe... he lost in the first round, but... Well, that's good to hear that that was actually... It was a, good for a positive for him. Watching it, I was like, "Wow, this guy's getting demolished." I feel bad for him. We, I think, the, the roast battles sort of create friendships. I don't think, you know, every now and then somebody's a bad sport. It's very rare, but any examples? Ralphie was upset. I, I mean, you don't talk to him anymore. I would say he's still upset. I would talk to him. He told me to lose his number. I God. love Ralphie. Unbelievable. Um, with the roast battle, somebody said he's been tweeting about roast battles, so maybe he's coming around about it. The thing is, I think he... And I look back, by the way, at his tournament, he had some great jokes and some funny moments. I mean, right. he didn't even do bad. He just didn't take the jokes that were about him so great. Which is part of how you have to handle the roast battle. That's what Sarah was. Sarah All was life. really good at that. Tiana. Yeah. Yeah. She, was, she just really enjoyed 
the other person's jokes and there was not a hint of, ooh, now I'm mad. Of course, you oh, have to you be a good line. sport. I saw Mike Lawrence, who won the first tournament last night, and I said, are you willing to challenge whoever wins Roast Battle 2? And he said yes. So if we do Roast Battle 3 this summer, Mike Lawrence will compete against whoever wins this tournament. So it really is building like wrestling or... I was going to say, you're like Don King. I like even when you were talking about... Uh, Matching the 9-11 guys. I wanted to match him with a right. New York comedian. Yeah. You're like the new Don King, only he had more hair. <laughs> and better clothes. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. And it does. It, it it is exciting. I mean, I do walk into that arena going, this is like, I can't even believe that this is happening sometimes. And then we had like, you know, Kevin Hart and Kimmel and Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman and Apatow, Whoopi, like these judges. Right. I go, this is... I don't remember any other competition show like where comedians, where other comedians want to watch their their friends or younger comedians compete. Normally we don't care about the open micers at the comedy store, but this is something that the comics have gotten behind. I can't remember watching a show with more stone judges is another thing. I mean... No comment. Maybe Paula... Maybe Paula Abdul on American Idol. I don't know what she was up to. There were times when she looked you a little zonked out of it. You think our judges were stoned? I wasn't. Ah, I think maybe a couple were. No, we take points. it seriously. You're in Montreal. Maybe Snoop Dogg's doing the premiere. So. <laughs> it's Snoop Dogg doing it? Yeah. So you got 16. Yeah, the sweet 16. But you only have three judges. Right. If you had five judges, I would feel like people could gamble on this. Why? Well, three is like it would be too easy to buy off one of the judges. I feel Who like I could buy, buy off Snoop Dogg. Who's buying off Dogg, Sarah like, Silverman at a roast battle competition? Oh, that would be easy. I think you'd buy off any of them. No, I, I, I do wonder. There's not wonder, enough money at stake. I do wonder if it gets to the point where maybe there's gambling on this. Especially because it's live. Be. I, would, I would really, really love that. Because Mike Lawrence was a machine. He's so good at Although this. I, Sarah and I have talked about this. I do think like she, she choked on one joke. And I think she has a lot of regrets on it. Like right. she got something, she got rattled or she couldn't remember the phrasing and it kind of knocked her off for like right. a minute. Right. And that's that's why I didn't like the Jimmy Carr. I didn't like the fact that he had the notes. I, I don't think props, I don't think you should be able to read your jokes. And then you got to go out there, you got to wing it. It's got to come from your heart and your head and that's it. I come from the writing background. So if somebody wants to use a clipboard for effect or affect or whatever, I think it's fine. But you know, the, it's that, too. But that, it's too that, big of an not, advantage. But you know, Kimmel and Rogan, they they disagreed in that case, and they voted against him, and that left me, um, you know, with a with no vote. So Earl moved on, and in a weird way, I liked staying out of it because they're both good friends. So right. sometimes I like kind of staying out of the tiebreakers and and that stuff. It gets complicated. At the end of the day, it started out as kind of a fun thing to get your yayas out. So when people take it so seriously. Um, it's it, it it gets really intense. What about the guys that come out? The uh, the, the wave. The wave. Last night I was in a very weird polarizing. Mood. Right. Sometimes last night I jumped in and just for fun and did the wave with the wave. Did you really? I didn't feel like judging. You know, we do our regular Tuesday eleven o'clock roast battle for fun. But most people like them, and then some people they get killed on social media. The wave is polarizing. Yeah. You've noticed that. Some people love the wave. I like it. Some people don't get it. But the wave grew organically. Out of the belly room where Roast Battle was born. That's Jeremiah, Willie Hunter, and Jamar Neighbors. They are huge Roast Battle fans, and they couldn't get on. They weren't really passed at the comedy store yet. So to get their yayas out, they would just start like, 
heckling and getting involved and, and having fun during the roast battle. And then, of course, we had to keep them on because they're part of the family. Let's take a quick break from the one and only Jeff Ross to talk about Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They bring the mortgage process into the 21st century, which is a good idea because it's now 2017. Did you know you can bang out the entire mortgage process on your phone or tablet? Oh, yeah. It's fast. It's powerful. It's completely online. Rocket Mortgage takes all the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. With Rocket Mortgage, share bank statements, pay stubs, at the touch of a button, Help you get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage situation that's been tailored to your unique financial situation. If you're looking to refinance your mortgage or purchase a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Again, quickenloans.com slash Bill Simmons. And now. Back to the one and only Roastmaster, Jeff Ross. What's your Mount Rushmore of best roast jokes you've ever heard? Wow. Mount Rosemore? Mount Rosemore. Best roast jokes? Yeah. What you, What's your best roast joke? Is it still B. Arthur? Sandra Bernhardt. Holy shit. I wouldn't fuck you with B. Arthur. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought that was a great joke. That was a great moment. Because well, it seems tamer now because the roasting, they, we keep going up, 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 up. But in 1999, it was... There just hadn't been anything like My that. My favorite all-time joke was at a roast for Jerry Lewis. I don't know if I've ever told you this before. I don't know. But we were roasting Jerry Lewis at the Friars Club probably 10 years ago. And normally I have a a rule not to roast anybody over 80 because yeah. they, could, they could have a heart attack. And... He was in his seventies, I think, at the time. Maybe he, maybe he's ninety now. So it's about he's about eighty. Well, whatever. Anyway, so it came back to us, you know, like we all love Jerry Lewis. Like he gets very sensitive about jokes about Jerry's kids. So it's like I think oh. he gets sensitive about a lot of stuff. That was the only th- kind of stipulation they gave us, like yeah. a warning, an unwritten kind of like, if you don't mind this kind of thing, that that might upset him. And now, of course, <laughs> I'm like, oh boy, how do I dance around this? I got to go there without going there. I got to really, dan- I got to really just poke it, but not break it. Yeah, like it just became a personal challenge to make him laugh about Jerry's kids. <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I get Jerry to laugh at something that's so? important to him and so sensitive so i thought about it and thought about it i was on the phone with my phone on the phone with my friend john max and we were riffing and kind of as one sentence together the joke came out uh jerry you know what about the good things that jerry lewis does we've all been making fun of me all night what about the good things that jerry does what about the fact that just this past labor day (laughs) a six-year-old boy got up out of his wheelchair and walked for the first time to turn off the Jerry Lewis telethon. <laughs> and boom, you know, the room, did, did he laugh? There was a pause and then boom, Jerry's cracking up. Like he finally broke. It was the end oh, of the that's night. that's good. And then, of course, on the flight home, he had a heart attack. Did he really? Yeah. He's fine now, but this was I a long time I don't think that ago. could be tied to you. I do think that the roast <laughs> added something to it. I do. I don't roast anybody over 80 anymore. Good move. The most famous roast moment ever was Gilbert Gottfried at that 9-11. What was at it? The Hugh Hefner roast. Were you there? No, you weren't no, there. I, I, but I I just gotten to know Jimmy a little bit when that whole thing was going. But then 9-11 happens. You have the roast anyway. 
and then he does the whole aristocrats thing, which turns into a documentary and that's going to be tough. Any roast moment that turns into a documentary has got to be the standard. <laughs> I <would think. laughs> a lot of people say the Ann Coulter uh, bombing was up there. Oh God. That was weird, though. That was almost, she was Lowe almost like wrote. a suicide bomber in that. Like, what did she think was going to happen? She's going to get annihilated. We wrote her a fun, self-aware speech. She would have crushed, like, really funny stuff. The best joke writers in the business helped her. And she dismissed it. And she was not cool to work with. And, and uh, Hard to believe. And then she made the whole thing like a plug for her Trump book. She put the book up on the uh, podium and started to talk over her book and... She did not endear herself to the crowd. And by the way, when you've been made fun of for an hour and a half and you go on at the end, you have a lot of goodwill. Like she could have gotten away with murder. She could have destroyed all of us. Right. But she didn't. Saddest roast, I think, is Chevy Chase. Never saw that one. I've only heard about it. You weren't involved in that one? I wasn't there. It was sad. Yeah. Like he just didn't get it and within five minutes looked like he didn't want to be there. Some people love it. People say Todd Barry killed. I don't. Know. I just remember watching. And he's coming him being, back for the roast battle, so being, that's his return to roasting. I think Geraldo was in that one. Well, I remember talking to Greg afterwards. I said, "What was wrong with it?" He goes, "Well, you know, I don't know. None of none of none of Chevy's friends were there, and he wouldn't take his sunglasses off, and so he, you couldn't really connect with him." And I go, "What was he like before the show when you met him?" He goes, "Well, I didn't meet him." And I go, "Oh, well, that's the problem." Right. Like when I produced the roast. There's a dinner the night before, or we all have lunch before the show, and we look at each other and we shake hands and become humans to each other, just acknowledge each other before the roast. It's like how kids shake hands after a game or before a game or whatever. I mean, how would he, you never even met him? The first time you met him was when you started making fun of him at the podium? Yeah. And I go, well, that's a poorly produced show. Yeah. And that, that could have at least helped that show. You've mastered the roast a guy or girl for eight minutes and then at the end somehow after you've been killing them killing them killing them but with that said you've been a hero of mine for the last 30 years and it's been an honor to roast you and then you come, come in for the hug meanwhile they're like just bleeding from nine different places <laughs> that's, that's where it comes from Bill it's uh, affectionate it's uh, I only roast the ones I love God Pete that, I mean it does feel like the roasts are getting meaner and meaner to the point that yeah. It's almost you become a little desensitized. Like poor Pete Davidson, he goes in any of these now, and it's just like you know, you know the nine eleven dad stuff is just going to come in like waves. That. To me, that was too much. I'm I'm hard to You're, offend, you know, hard to. <laughs> but I don't think getting Pete. I think you know we did a roast of Justin Bieber, and Pete made a joke about his dad passing away on nine eleven. Then I I also made one, yeah. but I did it for shock value once. And, I, and Pete even knew I was going to do it. I yeah. never tip people off, but if it's about your dead parent, you're 21 years old, I tipped him off. Said, well, how do you feel about this? He's like, I love it. It's great. My dad would love it. It's great. Do it. But then the next year, like everyone is like emulating or imitating what I did and trying to like rally. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No. You know, it's not, it's not what we get Pete Davidson on. How about the fact that he's ugly? <laughs> Can we just do that for Pete for a while? <laughs> And so, his mom's in the audience. You don't have to bring up 9-11 every time Pete right. Davidson's there. It's just not cool. So in the roast battle, yeah. the two competitors have to exchange information with one each other. They don't have other. to, but it's, 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 it's a good idea. It's you almost wanna, like countries. It's like us exchanging secrets with Russia. 
It's almost better to uh, to give up some secrets to get some back. Right. So like Pat Barker was saying, like he had some very sensitive. Um, his wife had had a miscarriage, and right. he put that in his, you know, in his whatever information to give. Wow. Get some back. That's brave. And then, of course, so he's trying to get sympathy in a weird way for his. I, I don't know what the strategy was, but I then, would not be telling people. But I, I think that's what they feel do. About that? How does wife feel about that? I think she's okay with. I, she must be okay. They must check with it, right? What was more embarrassing, the miscarriage or the fact that he's making jokes about it on Comedy Central? Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. That was that was a better one. Well, he did. I don't think it was on Comedy Central. Oh, but he was just so. When he was telling us this, I was so fascinated by. So wait a second, like all the terrible things, all your secrets, you have to tell the other person. He seemed to think. Oh, now you're holding. Now you're holding the mic. This is great. Nobody's done this in a pod. You actually pulled the the thing out hey, of the I'll stand. Hey, I'll be here all week. This is good. <laughs> Work in the room. What's his name? Taint. I gotta get a picture of this. <laughs> Taint working the. I take a picture of this. Nobody's ever grabbed the mic and pulled it off this like that. Well, I'm in it for the long haul here. What so, else you got, Simmons? What else? Well tell, well, tell me the roast battle. Who's the favorite? You know, there's an interesting competition for this next tournament. Yeah. Um, who's the up and comer? The hot up and comer, and who's the favorite? Here's two of the favorites because I, I talk to a lot of people. Two of the favorites are the two guys who consistently win in New York and L.A. There's a guy in New York named Zach Amico. Okay. Weird-looking guy. You would never know him if it wasn't for Roast Battle. A-plus joke writer. And a good target as well. He's just a weird-looking dude. Very into wrestling. All the top Roast Battlers are big wrestling fans, usually. And Makes sense. Yeah. And there's a guy out here called Alex Hooper who keeps winning and winning and winning. He does different characters. He's a great joke writer. He's a weird-looking dude, super funny, nice guy. So I think those are two favorites because they do it a lot. And anytime you do it a lot, I think that makes you great at it. Right. And um, a couple veterans, Todd Barry, I mentioned, is doing it, which I think is a great booking. He's been busting my balls for my entire career. Now he has... He thinks he has what it takes to come into my dojo and roast battle. We'll see how that goes. That'd be exciting. Jessica Curson, I don't know if you know her. Super funny lady. Big, big, ballsy woman from New York. She's in the comedian movie that I co-wrote. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. She's super funny, and she's in it. Kurt Metzger writes on Amy Schumer's show and other stuff. Super funny guy. And the regular roast battlers from the different cities. It's going to be super brutal. Biggest celebrity judge you have? This time around, yeah. we're not all booked yet. We're still booking the finals, but Sarah Silverman's confirmed. Snoop Dogg's confirmed. Um, a couple other people I don't want to say yet. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be super. Jezelnik's coming back. Whitney Cummings is going to do it this time. Would I want Jezelnik people, be? The- I want people with roast cred to judge. I don't want to like be willy nilly about it. I don't want great roasters to get dismissed. You know, I want I want the roasting and the writing to be recognized. So we try to get people who have some tie to the roast. I think Jeselnik, who I've always been a fan of, after somebody actually wins roast battle, it should be like a video game where after you win the video game, there's like the secret Easter egg person waiting that you also have to beat. And Jeselnik just comes out. That would be good. Because Jeselnik would be, I mean, this is like perfect for him. He's, I, he's, I would say he would be the if if you're doing a draft a league a roast battle league and he was available he would be my number one draft pick. I think it's hard to argue with that. He's super. Great he's a five stuff. to a player, Jeff. And he might have been our he might have been our best judge the first round. He 
really breaks it down and he's funny and he, he probably understands was the only one who wasn't stoned um don't be so sure all right comedian <laughs> you co-wrote this more importantly you got to work with de niro the comedian comes the comedian. out february the comedian yeah comes out right after roast battle and there's so, a huge roast scene in it too it's unclear whether De Niro likes you or not. This has been a big topic of obsession <laughs> for Jimmy and Sal because yeah. De Niro was on Jimmy's show. Saw that. And uh, didn't really seem to sell the Jeff Ross friendship very well. Right. And uh, and now we're wondering if he detests you. Uh, you know, we had a good talk uh, after that. And, you and uh, De Niro did? We hugged it out. We're good. Was he mad at you? No. You don't want De Niro mad at you. That guy knows people. It wasn't that he was mad at me. It's that his buddy was in the green room who's mad at me. Oh. So he got a little thrown by Jimmy. What do you mean his buddy was mad at you? Yeah, you know, I don't want to get too into it, but it was a, not an easy project. Gotcha. And I wrote this movie seven years ago, and they finally made it, and they did a good job. And people have worked on it since I worked on it, so I think De Niro was protecting that a little bit, but... He yeah, th did he think you were taking too much credit? I haven't taken any credit. Okay. I got credit because I wrote, you wrote it. it. Well, I, I wrote, I co-wrote it with this guy. Okay, and you know, I got credit and got paid, and I it was. It's actually a pretty good movie. Is De Niro gonna have you whacked? Like he like that would good be a fellas? great way to end my roasting career. <laughs> He's like, hey, I got you some suits. No, no, over there, a little further. They invited Go me down to the, to the right. They invited me to the to the Egyptian theater. The AFI American Film Institute had a had a screening, and and Taylor Hackford, the director, invited me, and he made me and uh, the other writer take a bow together, which was a, a nice kind of bonding thing. And I saw Bob afterwards, De Niro, and I told oh, you him, call him Bob. I told him how great he was in the role, and we had sort of an emotional reconnection about it. We worked really hard on it together. We worked for a long time together, but. We didn't talk to each other during the process uh, in the last couple of years. When so. did you get to call him Bob? Was it right away or was it He like would a always call later? himself Bob, so I didn't know what else to do. Okay. So I still have a bunch a of Bob. voicemails. And we had a good time. We went to the Comedy Cellar. We went to the Friars Club. We worked in his office. He has a, you know, a, a, a very open mind and collaborative mind. He's an amazing actor, and I learned a lot doing it. But you have no good De Niro stories. What do you want to know? It doesn't seem like anyone has good De Niro stories. He's like just a very quiet guy, right? I remember he was describing the character and all the comedians he likes. He goes, he's, he's like, he's like, oh, how do you see this Jackie Burke character? You know, and he's like, he's like, he's like, you know, Jeff, how you do the roasts and you, and you, and you, 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 zets, you, 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 you slam everybody in the room. You, you go after everybody. He goes, he goes, this character, I want him to slam everybody. But, but you know how you say something at the nice, something nice at the end? This guy doesn't say the nice part at the end. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, I get the character. Wow, so he must have studied you on YouTube. Well, he'd been to the roast. He was at that Jerry Lewis roast, I told you, and his wife's a big comedy fan. And, and then I remember um, um, he, likes, he loves Jackie Leonard. He loves. I remember I took him to the Friars Club. It was a tribute to Mickey Freeman, who was in Sergeant Bilko. He had just passed away, Mickey Freeman. And I brought Bob because I knew he loves the old comedians. We were researching this role. And I remember Larry Storch was in the lobby and Bob said, can you introduce me to Larry Storch? I was like, sure. <laughs> He's available. And Larry comes over and Bob De Niro starts launching into a Larry Storch stand-up bit from the 40s or 50s. Like, De Niro has a photographic memory. It's pretty amazing. And he must actually like comedy because he did this with King of Comedy in the early 80s. 
which is about a comedian. So this he is must a nice have some sort of comedian movie, actually. Yeah. This is like, if the King of Comedy is about an unfunny guy who can't get arrested, literally has to get arrested, who has to kidnap somebody to get on TV, then this movie, the comedian, Jackie Burke, De Niro's character, plays a comedian who's hilarious, but he's burned every bridge. He can't get work. He plays sort of a comedian at the end of his career. Be like me if I just pissed everybody off and kind of stopped developing as a person. Like 20 years from now? Yeah. That's kind of what it is. He plays I think an you're insult. developing. I don't know how no, you can lose more hair, but you're <laughs> other, other parts are developing. I, I, I'm, you're still uh, taking some swings. I'm still, I'm still, no, I'm saying if I didn't. You right. Know? Yeah, it's a hypothetical. I'm, just, I'm trying to hypothetically wonder what, what that part of your career would look like. It would probably look pretty bleak, you know. De Niro plays a very lonely character in the movie. And Leslie Mann uh, plays a, a love interest in the movie. And I do think it's like she does an Oscar-winning performance. She's so good in it. We, uh, I remember we the talked comedian. about this a few years ago, about the, the bond that comedians have. And you feel it every time a comedian dies it comes out and it's the brotherhood slash sisterhood of the comedians it's it's weirdly like pro wrestling a little bit you guys are on the road all the time you only you only understand the other you only understand each other basically no nobody from the outside world can even figure out what's going on it's really fascinating i, do, I don't know what to make of it i feel I'm, like, I'm like part jealous of it and part fascinated by it I feel like I'm a comedian before I'm anything else. It's weird. I never really maybe articulated it before, but I feel like I'm a comedian before I'm Jewish, before I'm an American, I before I'm from Jewish New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> but I just feel like that's the thing. It's like, you know, if a comedian was running for president, I'd have to vote for, well, well I guess I didn't, but. <laughs> <laughs> I saw what you did there. Uh, yeah, I remember when Sarah was dating Jimmy and she'd just be, you know, you'd be at his house and all of a sudden she'd just get up and leave because she had some 12-minute set. Of course. She's getting the car go and then she'd be back like an hour later. I always thought, like, that's crazy. Like, she was just sitting here and now she's going to go randomly in front of 175 people or whatever it is, do 10 minutes, then go back. But I guess you reach a point where it's almost like eating. No, or I, I think playing golf or all these other things. Well, I don't know. you know, I don't know. I mean, Sarah takes it seriously. She doesn't truly relax until her set is over. Yeah. So there's that. No, I'm not saying she didn't yeah. take it seriously. It was just I, I was amazed that she, I, I guess I'm amazed how you can go from one world to another so seamlessly. Sometimes it's hard. Like when I walk off stage or before I go on stage, if somebody starts talking to me about negative shit or whatever, I have a hard time. Right before and right. I turned my buddy Hackett taught me to turn my phone off an hour before the show and just sort of you owe it to yourself and your audience to focus on that night. You don't want to get any bad news right before you go on. Right. You don't want to find out your uncle just died right before you go on. He'll still be dead when you get off stage. You know, you don't need, you know, you, you got to you gotta sort of commit and be all in when you go out there. I remember that time when you went out to perform right after Aunt Antique died. Mm -hmm. But you knew. Back Sal, then she Sal would, told me to bring up Antique. <laughs> she said, Sal said she was so old her vagina had mice. <laughs> that, rest in peace. You know, Sal likes to bring up the passing of my aunt. I don't, I don't find any humor in it. She was 104 years old. We called her Antique. 
Wait, Antique was real? Yes. Or that was your nickname for her? Both. Oh, I thought Antique no, was her like name a running joke really for you. Teak. Oh, I didn't know Antique was real. <laughs> no. Yes, of so course. So that was your nickname for her, Antique. Antique. She had a sister, Aunt Sester, who's still alive. <laughs> She's 135 at this point. What's going on with you romantically? What do you want to know? I don't know. Who are you dating? Not dating anyone steady right now. Definitely looking for that. You dabbled in, in you, there were celebrities you were dating at one point? Sure. You're always up to stuff. You know, I just haven't found the right person, but I definitely want to, I would definitely love to settle down and find somebody and love is rare, hard to find. Did your re recent celebrity relationship come out? Because I don't want to bring it up if it didn't. No. Okay. I have some questions if you want to talk about it. As long as you don't say who it is, I'm okay. fine with questions, but I'd really rather <laughs> well, not, not. Not very fun if I'd I don't really say not, who it rather is. rather not bring her into this. How many dates did you guys have? I don't know, a couple months. A couple months? Yeah. And it never came out? No. All right, I'm not going to say who it is. People have it's to. It's not, not my style to kiss and tell. have to figure it out. Yeah. What's your next like hour-long Comedy Central special? That's a great thing? question. I'm trying to figure that out. I did the jail. Then I did Roasted Cops. You can Boston. see both of those online. You went into Boston. A lot of, lot of Tom Brady jokes in your honor. I know. Boston cops have a weird relationship with uh, the Patriots. I asked a Boston cop, I said, what would Tom Brady have to do to get arrested? I said, if Tom Brady were kicking a kitten down the street, right. would you arrest him? And he said he would arrest the kitten for getting in the way of Tom Brady's foot. Right. <laughs> Boston cops are the best. Did you see? I would have told you to make more Dunkin' Donuts jokes. I made a lot, but okay, I, I wound up not I, using I mean, that even many more. in the show. Yeah. yeah, but they do. They do run on Dunkin' up there. They don't. They totally do. So you don't know what the next one is. I've been dabbling with a couple ideas. If you have a good idea, I'm all ears. Don't do the thing where you decide to get super political with your next hour-long special. I would wait on that one. Have I ever done that? No. I'm. But I mean, you know, the climate, the way it is right now. Maybe something with the troops. I just came back. I was in Iraq over Christmas, and I was thinking that that would have been a good, a good. Well, that's been you've been. Well, you did that. That was your documentary. In that was a long time right? ago. Yeah. I'm a better comic now, and the situation there is different. And you know, I don't know. There's something there, and there's a lot of comedy there. You go to Missoul or yeah. Fallujah. There's definitely some tension, and when you can break that with jokes and penetrate somebody's Kevlar vest to make them laugh. It's interesting. So I don't know. All right. The Roastmaster. Did that. Then I saw Trump at, in Palm Beach playing golf. Did I tell you about that? No. I was going to say goodbye to you, but let's hear it. Oh. No, I want to hear the story now. I thought we were done. And I was like, you know, he waved and I said hi. And I just come back from Iraq and I go to tell him about my trip and the soldiers in Iraq. He's like, how is it? A mess over there? Anyway, how do you think Arnold's going to do on Celebrity Apprentice? <laughs> It was like, okay. Uh, uh, should be an interesting four years. Yeah. I said, well, actually, they, they asked me to do it. And he's like, oh, better off not doing it. Good move. So he asked me if I play golf. I said, no. You made our friend Daniel Kellison mad. You did an Instagram post. Oh, yeah. You did a picture. He commented underneath. Sal, of course, was delayed. Everybody got Cody points. Yeah. For that you one. know, I mean, to me. You know, he's the president. I didn't support him, but he knows that. But this is life. We have to we have to be real. 
And you need him for a season three of Roast Battle for the final episode. I did. I, we got to roast him again. I mean, roasted him twice. I've got to roast him again. Oh, that's right. You wrote. I forgot to ask you about that. Of course. It did come out that he had the one thing that he asked everybody not to roast him about was being poor bankrupt no he didn't ask us not to roast him about it but he didn't like when we did i thought he said beforehand stay away from i didn't get that i didn't hear that okay no it was more like you know if you want to make him laugh that's not the thing to make him laugh about but of course we all made those jokes how could you not what's the right move when you're getting roasted lay back and take it it's like getting molested and just laugh (laughs) (laughs) definitely editing that out Come on. Taint's editing that out right now. You're the one who said roasting's still a safe place. It's the only safe place left. Well, you... (laughs) (laughs) When people die, you're doing the roasted peace tweets. You have to. If we don't laugh, we cry, Bill. Do you get negative feedback from that? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) You should see the ones I don't post. Sometimes it's hard. What was the George Michael one? That one killed me. He died peacefully surrounded by seven supermodels. No, I he, thought it his was His final like... words were, don't wake me up before you go-go. <laughs> <laughs> I love George Michael. Oh, man. Please, if anything happens to me, you have my permission to roast By the ro- way, 2017's been boring. I really wish a celebrity would die already. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? Come on. I thought it was fascinating. Everybody thought the end of the year, because so many had died, we were going to end with a bang. And then the last one was Father Carmichael from Mesh. We just went out very peacefully, but with like a weird religious kind of celebrity feel, which I thought was strange. Right at the end, he squeaked in there. He's just a little tiny one at the end. 2017, I I don't think it's even conceivable to match as many celebrity deaths as we had can't even half as many right so there's also was, there's not a lot of 80s icons left huh. in 70s like think about all the mu- all the music icons we've lost i guess you're right michael jackson's gone prince is gone george michael's gone Wait. i mean we still have like elton john billy joel people like that left and what elton john's still alive elton john's barely alive yeah he's still in vegas wow I saw Billy Joel. I mean, he's the size of a piano, man. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he doesn't have a heart attack. (laughs) Man, too many scenes from an Italian restaurant. (laughs) Can you do a one-minute roast to Tate now that you're heated up? Tate, what are you doing over there on the computer all the entire podcast? He's typing something. He's typing Probably a resume. (laughs) (laughs) Can I get a window seat on Delta? What are you doing over there? Taking notes. He's taking notes. He's taking notes like, I have to edit out that one part where Jeff said this. Oh, come on. Let it go, bud. Yeah. Come on. It's all right. Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe, we'll, um, maybe we'll just keep everything. I'll put a little disclaimer in the beginning. What's the disclaimer? I don't know. TVMA? You're the one who cursed, not me. You said the S word shit way before I said a word. That's true. We haven't had a lot of cursing in this one. Yeah, I'm not dirty. I just go for it. Don't play blue. There's nothing worse than people tuning in to your podcast and they go, Jeff Ross held back. That would be awful. That's not That's the true. feedback you want. Yeah, I'm not. All right, Jeff Ross watered down out. for an hour after this. We won't what? take anything out. I, dude, we're good, buddy. Just don't wake me up before you go-go. <laughs> Who's going to get offended by that? Yeah. 
You can always be surprised. At Linda Evangelista, whoever was in that video. <laughs> People don't even get that joke. It's so old. Uh, all right, Jeff anyway, Ross. Simmons, this was a lot of fun. Please invite me to one of the roast battles. I want you to come. And we're, we're shooting them 20, 20. If you go to roastbattletickets.com, you can sign up and come to the live tapings. So if any of your fans want to actually come to the roast battles, you can do that too. Otherwise, I want to cover, it like, on, it's, I want to cover it like it's like the NFL playoffs or something. God, I would love that. I kind of feel in a way that it is. I think I could get there. Let's work something out. I love everything you do, though. I mean, I, I love the burn. I, I still have it in my season pass. Really? Yeah. Even I, I, I deleted that shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I leave, I leave the shows I like in the season pass. Like, what's going to happen? It's not like it's stealing whatever. But it was a great show. I thought it was a good idea for a show. I liked it. Yeah, it was ahead of its time, I think. Yeah. But luckily, Roast Battle came and Roast Battle is the, I think, a smarter way to do it. And I also like the pumping it out so it's like four days in a row, things like that. You like the event style. Oh, yeah. People people complain about that. No, it's They go, by the time it's on, it's over, and we missed it. No, it's it's smart. And also, like, if you place it in the right weekends, like you're doing with this one, where it's basically between the football, the round three of the playoffs and the Super Bowl, there's nothing that weekend. It's smart. I think this is going to be so cool. 16 comics going head-to-head, mic-to-mic. We're calling it the War of the Words. The War of the Words. Right. Roast Battle 2. Roast Battle 2, War of the we Words. We have a seat of honor for you, Bill Simmons, and all excited the tapings. for it. Jeff Ross, a pleasure as always. Thanks, pal. All right, thanks again to SeatGeek. Please download their free SeatGeek app to buy and sell tickets on your phone and tell them we sent you. Thanks to Channel 33. That's where you can find my latest episode of my Sports Movie Hall of Fame series. We did any given Sunday. Check it out. Subscribe to that. Thanks to TheRinger.com. That's where you can find my Friday column. There's a 99.9% chance it's going to be about the NFL playoffs. Thanks to Mike Lombardi. Thanks to Jeff Ross. Don't forget, Roast Battle coming up. And thanks to Pearl Jam. Go to PearlJam.com to find out about PJ25. It's their big anniversary. Thanks to Tate Frazier. Listen to his podcast, Teed Up with Mark Titus. They talk Kyle Choops. All right, play us out, Eddie.